another episode of my second season of Awaken Parenting. I'm your host, Jill McPherson, parenting consultant, mother of four, and teacher, here to answer your parenting questions. On today's show, I'm tackling the topic of anxiety in children. Since the arrival of the pandemic, I've noticed as a mother and a teacher how anxiety within children and teens has increased significantly. Many parents are seeking ways to reduce anxiety levels in their children. So I decided I would reach out to Tiffany McCabe, a social worker and art psychotherapist who uses art therapy as a way of helping children, teens and adults manage their anxiety. If you or someone you care about is struggling with anxiety, then you will want to listen to today's episode of Awaken Parenting. Tiffany this past summer and was very intrigued when I learned about her art psychotherapy practice that she operates both in person and online. Welcome to the show, Tiffany. I'm so glad you could join me in this very relevant topic right now. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah. So first of all, let's just get started with hearing more about you. I'm curious how you came about to become an art psychotherapist. So I first started thinking about becoming an art therapist when I was um, really young, like probably 12 years old. And around that time, I had experienced the death of my grandma and my grandpa, who I was really close with. And shortly after they died, my mom was diagnosed with thyroid cancer and she's okay. Everything, everything's good with her now. Um, but art was something that I used to cope and to kind of process my grief, um, my worries, my worries, especially, you know, my grandma and grandpa just passed away of cancer. And now I all of a sudden know that my mom has cancer and as children, you know, our mind just jumps to, well, cancer is cancer and my mom's now going to die as well. So uh, just lots of different worries, lots of different thoughts, and art was my main way to cope. Um, And when I went into high school, I really wanted to combine my love for art and psychology together. Um, However, like 20 years ago, art therapy was still like very much a new and emerging kind of therapy. And really even today, it's still, it's still pretty emerging. Um, Not everybody knows about it. Um, But my, the guidance teacher in high school kind of convinced me to go into psychology and not into art therapy. Uh, Again, just since it wasn't very popular in Canada at that time. So I graduated from psychology And I was kind of like, what am I supposed to do with this degree? (laughs) There wasn't really any practical um, kind of things I could do. So I went back to school for social work. And I did my bachelor's of social work at University of Waterloo through Renison College. And I was really fortunate in that I was able to go to India on an exchange and uh, do university there for a semester. Um, And while in India, you know, art was a way to communicate. Um, It 
overcame a lot of language barriers and it was just a universal way to express and to understand um, what was happening. I worked with a lot of children in India who were orphans. Uh, so it was just a natural way uh, to engage, engage those children. Um, and then I all ended up doing my master's in international social work. And I won uh, an international peace award through the University of Calgary, and which allowed me to work in rural Kenya. <laughs> um, and I worked at a rural community center, uh, lots of different kind of projects happening there. And when I originally went there in my head, I had planned to use photo photo voice, uh, which is kind of a, a technique where we use pictures to tell different stories and tell different stories about our community and where, um, where we just need maybe some extra support. Um, however, when I went to Kenya, it was right after the Civil War. So there was still a lot of political tension, still a lot of, um, you know, leftover you could just see evidence of the civil war everywhere. Um, and I, when I was trying to get people to engage in this photo voice kind of project, everyone um, really wanted to do it. But then when it came to it, it was just too political and people were scared. They weren't feeling safe. And that's kind of really when I realized how powerful art was and how, you know, um, how it can be such a huge way to express our, our thoughts and our worries. Um, so, so again, my, my art therapy wasn't a straightforward kind of, uh, path. So when I came home from Kenya, I started working, I came back to Dufferin County. Um, I actually started working in Gray County and then Dufferin and in Dufferin, I uh, was working with a child who was seeing an art therapist and right away that just clicked with me and I just googled you know art therapy in Ontario and Toronto Art Therapy Institute popped up and it was offering an online course and I was like newly pregnant at the time <laughs> my first child and I just jumped on it and I haven't looked back. <laughs> wow. Well, that is quite a journey um, and a diverse journey. And um, what really resonated me in, with me in your sharing there was the your epiphany in Kenya about the power of art, what, you know, various mediums, um, and in that case, photo, but uh, how powerful art can be in, um, in sort of resonating with our stories, with our emotions and, and trauma. Yeah. So, Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's been, that was quite a journey. And so now here you are as a registered um, art uh, psychotherapist. So now walk me through the process. So um, for the, cause you know, there's going to be listeners here who have no experience with this at all. So let me just sort of set up a stage here for you. So parents contact you, they say they have an anxious child. Um, maybe let's go with a younger child, like five or six, and perhaps the child doesn't want to go to school, has anxiety around doing maybe some daily tasks. I mean, where, where do you start? Like, how would you use art therapy to help a child in this situation? 
Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I, I always start right where the family is at in that moment. Um, I always love to hear the history um, because again, sometimes what is the issue that is presenting is school, but through a detailed history, um, all of a sudden there's actually other things that are kind of happening and school is often just the forefront for, for some of those things. Um, Mm. so when the kid comes in or the child comes in, I, I just want to get to know them. I want to get to know who they are and what's important to them, um, what books they read and how they relate to characters and books and how they, you know, relate to different um, shows and, and the characters in the shows or the games that they play or the movies that they watch. And I just try to connect with with that child on a person to person level and make sure that they know that they're heard and they're seen and that they feel important too. Um, I also often ask kids like, why are you here? What, what are we working on together? And that's usually really interesting too. (laughs) Sometimes it's, well, I don't know. My, my mom or dad told me to come here and here I am. And Mm -hmm. other times it, it's really different and impactful and meaningful. And that's, um, and that's what we can start working on together. And, you know, I think too, with, with the school, with the school issue as well, um, just making children feel like they're safe and, and children feel like they're heard, that can go such a long way um, as an adult connecting with a child and showing that these relationships can um, evolve through school as well. So that's that's my long answer for that. (laughs) Right. Right. So establishing connection, because it sounds like to me, I mean, I, I threw out that example of school, um, but it sounds like to me, you look at that more as a symptom of a problem, not a problem. Yes, exactly. Right. So it's like, so why is school, mm-hmm. uh, you know, being a trigger for anxiety and let's go underneath it. And I think as adults, sometimes I've, you know, I've got caught in this myself. I, I witnessed this in the, in the clients I support um, is we can get caught up in thinking the child doesn't want to go to school. This is the problem I need to fix. Um, and instead um, looking at, at is it's a symptom of a problem. What's really going on underneath this? Exactly. Yes. Right. Sure. Right. And so you get there by first making connection with them. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I heard, you know, you're asking different things in, in building this sort of relationship of trust And so, and then when, like, when does the art come in? Like, how does that come into the session? Yeah. So it comes in right, right away. And it's really interesting. Um, You know, a a child will come in here and that's the first thing that I show them is my art supplies and everyone's eyes light up, whether you're a four-year-old or a 60 year old or an 80 year old. Um, and knowing that again, there's just so many different possibilities for therapy versus tell me about, tell me about your, your issue right now. Right. So we start getting the art supplies out 
And that becomes a fair, the art in itself becomes another therapist in the room. Um, so the, one of the first things that I really like doing with children, um, is something a little messy and something fun and it's shaving cream art. And, um, we pour a bunch of paint on shaving cream and then make this really cool looking print to simplify it. And all of a sudden, all these different stories come out that, you know, you can't get from just saying hi to a child and asking how they are. Um, so it all of a sudden are bringing art into the room. Um, like I just said, acts as another therapist and, and brings out, uh, this side of imagination and fun that you wouldn't necessarily have anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I feel like I'm visualizing witnessing you in the room with a child. And um, when you said another therapist in the room that I found quite powerful. What I also noticed is I'm sort of imagining this along with you is that the art also gives like um, a conduit of safety and takes away a bit of element of vulnerability because if you're sitting down in a chair facing each other, you know, and you just want to talk, that can be, especially for younger children, well, even for, even for adults, let's face it, um, that can be intimidating and um, quite challenging. But now you're sitting sort of maybe more side by side and there's this art between the two of you. Um, I can just see how that would sort of take a level of, of vulnerability away and, and um, sort of increase their, you know, their willingness to open up. Is that, is that what you experience? Absolutely. And it gives permission to, for, for children and even for me as a, as an adult or, you know, whoever is in here that you don't have to come here and sit still and listen and talk. You can come here and stand up and move around and talk and do all these other things all at the same time and have such a meaningful an important impact and, and you just feel comfortable um, or, or a lot of children or whoever comes to see me just feel comfortable being here and kind of an extension of their own little world um, instead of, you know, coming to a, a, a scary kind of room, therapy room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, this is a bit of a, maybe a sidestep here, but I remember as a teacher uh, one time years ago, sitting in a, a staff meeting and there was another teacher who was doodling the whole time. And I, at one point kind of, you know, jokingly was teasing her, but kind of calling her out on it, that she was, you know, doodling and thinking how as teachers, if a child was doing that, when we were teaching, we would like tell them, put it away. You need to listen. Mm -hmm. um, and she said to me, actually, I listen so much better if I'm doodling and um, I can sort of process what's happening more if I'm doodling. And so I've taken that with me in my teaching experiences to recognize that sometimes um, children can open up their minds and either receive, like listen better or able to express themselves if they have this sort of comfort of art or doodling, um, you know, at the same time. And so I'm kind of imagining the same for, you know, some of your clients that it, uh, it would just be sort of soothing too to have this ability to listen to you, but also doodle at the same time. And us as, you know, you as the therapist and, and me as a teacher and as a mom, having to let go of this um, paradigm that we were raised with in school, that if you're doodling, you're not listening. Yes. 
Yes, for sure. And I think that, you know, that, that thought is sometimes still, um, there with, with parents or, you know, sometimes teachers as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's interesting to, and again, maybe jumping, jumping ahead here, but art actually helps people, everybody in general to process things that they are learning. So it actually makes a lot of sense to be doodling while, you know, listening to your teacher, because you're able to kind of process what she's saying in a way that you wouldn't be able to, if you were just listening. Um, and, you know, even myself as a therapist, um, the art helps me process afterwards. And, and not that I would do this in a session with a child. Um, but sometimes, you know, if there's something that came up in the, in the session, then I can turn to art and help myself process what's happening. So it becomes such a huge piece in, um, in everyone's life. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So that's a real, like kind of walk your talk kind of approach too, is that you use it to take care of yourself as the person helping others. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. So what I hear you saying then is that it sounds like whether, whether the person beside you is five or 55, um, 15 or 85, doesn't matter. It's, it, you're, you're going through a very similar process. You're just obviously adjusting your language based on who's with you. But otherwise, the art therapy itself is not specific to an age. Absolutely not. So it's not anybody can do art therapy, regardless if you have um, any art experience. So art experience doesn't matter because it's not about making like perfect artwork. It's not about making Instagram worthy art. It's about the process of healing that comes through the creation of art. Um, And it does not matter what age you are either. Uh, So you know, I used to work a lot with older adults before um, COVID in nursing homes and, uh, and children as well. Um, so age has no boundaries in art, in art as either. <laughs> okay, so how would you say then that this, okay, aside from being, you know, so we've come up with some, or what I've heard a few things here is that it helps with uh, bringing comfort. It's another therapist in the room. Um, It's a way to uh, express and uh, receive information more effectively. Is there another element uh, to art therapy that where you witness like, this is how it's helpful? Um, In in so many different ways, it can can honestly just be helpful. in with anxiety, it can be helpful with grief, it can be helpful um, in just wanting to learn about yourself a little bit more. Um, It can be helpful with depression. So and just, you know, find I think that art can express just a lot of unconscious thoughts that and feelings that we have in our body that we don't necessarily know how to get out or know how to express in any other way. Wow. Okay. So it's, it's like detoxifying 
of some unconscious, often maybe unconscious, um, you know, baggage or hurt or trauma, anxiety um, that's stored in the body. And you're saying it can just come out through the art. Absolutely. So we know that, you know, trauma, um, anxiety, you know, a lot of that, those things are stored in different parts of our body. We, and as we've, you know, done lots of research, we know that, um, that the body, so uh, there's a book called the body keeps score. So we know that all these things are held inside of our body. And whenever we're able to express ourselves in a way that uses our body rather than just our words, it allows those different experiences to be processed and to be released in a way, like you just said, a detox almost through art. Right. Yeah. And this isn't anything new because several modalities of healing address this. Uh, what's coming up for me is, um, you know, the EFT topping yeah. um, freedom technique. I mean, it's the same premises, right? It's like having sort of some physical action that's helping to release stored trauma. Um, exactly. A lot of psychosomatic kind of um, therapeutic techniques that are on this basis. So this is just one um of many therapeutic techniques where it offers that like almost like a physiological release of trauma. Exactly. Yes. Right. Wow. And then what about the product itself? Like when you're done and you've got this, you know, piece of art, is it just like it? Okay. It's art and you move on, or is there something to the art itself? Is there a stage in the therapeutic process where you're inviting them to, I don't know if I want to use the word analyze or um, to, to look at it or to go through it, or is it just more like a process and not the product? So it absolutely, um, there's a piece of reflection that is so important to art therapy. So again, kind of some of the myths or maybe some of the more um, old school thoughts is that these therapists would psychoanalyze uh, pictures and, and, you know, come up with a different psychoanalysis. And that's really not, um, what we're taught in school anymore for art therapy. We're really taught that the client brings its own meaning, meaning to the picture. Um, so yes, oftentimes I will ask people, um, tell me what a title is for, for this piece of artwork. And maybe let's, let's reflect on this a little bit. What does, you know, this mean, what does this mean to you? What color does this express for you? It really depends on, on what we just created. Um, but the reflection piece is a really important part for art therapy. And the cool thing about art therapy and creating art is that, you know, you can save all your art and, and start seeing patterns, things that start coming up for you over and over and over. So my mom loves to save everything. <laughs> and I'm really thankful that she, she has saved everything. Um, but in my artwork from, I think that I was, I, I think that I was probably starting in grade four, um, to, I think probably 20, I was drawing the same thing 
over and over and over and over again. And when I was in art therapy um, school myself, I was able to have a chance to kind of explore that a little bit more and kind of find a little bit a meaning for that little piece of artwork that I was doing over and over. Um, so for the chance to, for clients to find their own meaning for their artwork is, is really important for sure. Right. And, and so you are more like the guide in the process, but not, you know, the judge or the, not the like, Oh, I see you drew your family and then this person's over here. So that must mean that you don't love them or, you know, something like that, like that you would just invite them to reflect on it, to interpret it in their own way. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. So it's, you know, it's important to know how to ask some of those questions, like, tell me about this person in the corner that you, you know, haven't maybe mentioned in your initial reflection, right? Mm -hmm. And notice what is actually happening um, on the page, but not to impose your own thoughts or feelings on the, um, in the artwork either. And to remain really neutral too. So I think that's the other important thing as well is, you know, not to say to somebody, oh, your picture is so beautiful. Um, number one, because that's not the point of creating, you know, artwork um, in art therapy. But number two, sometimes you're, you create art and you don't want it to be beautiful. Sometimes it represents some of those really hard yucky kind of feelings that we have inside and we just need to get it out. Um, so I, I just think that's another important piece, piece to it as well. Right. Right. Wow. So what would you say, you know, if you're dealing with, um, patients that are dealing with, you know, some anxiety or trauma, what has come out for you as sort of the witness of this therapeutic process of what the underlying cause of that anxiety was in the first place? Um, so like maybe specifically for a child. So what, you know, they're anxious about whether it's school or they're anxious about, um, tests or they're anxious about uh, social relationships. Um, what kind of starts to come out for you in, in, in the epiphany or the connection that they make? that helps to sort of free them of their anxiety. So what's the, we know that the story is just the, the symptom of the problem, but what's the underlying cause do you think of a lot of this anxiety? I think that it, there's a lot of different things happening. Um, but I, I also think just to really overgeneralize things um, that whenever, you know, influential people in their lives are feeling stressed and anxious and worried, um, then that kind of layers on to the child as well. Mm -hmm. And whenever, you know, those feel, and the funny thing with, with children, not really the funny thing, but the thing about children is they only usually get bits and pieces of the information, or they'll only hear, you know, a little bit of a sentence that mom and dad have been talking about and don't get the full picture. Mm -hmm. So then 
all of a sudden their little brains are making assumptions to fill in the gaps and these become, you know, pretty big worries and, and um, pretty big causes of anxiety that just start circulating over and over through their head um, to the point where, you know, you, you do start seeing symptoms. Um, so I think that that's like one of the big things. And um, I think that the other thing that's happening right now is just the world is is changing a lot and very rapidly. Um, there's so many different new rules. There's so many different um, policies and schools and regulations and schools and things that are really going against our own social norms and our own kind of um, like instincts as well. So, and not just, you know, I'm not just talking about like an instinct to, to do something. It's, it's really innate from the caveman kind of instincts. And that's one, one of the things for that is just being together um, is, is protection. Right. And now that we have COVID and you, we, everybody wants everyone to be far apart from each other. It's really going against a lot of our, what we, what we feel natural. Um, and I think that that's a, a huge thing as well, right? That's happening right now anyways. Right. So that distance that, you know, the sort of inconsistency of, you know, what's the new rule now? I've, I've noticed that even myself as a teacher, you know, rules and policies are quite even different than they were last year, but yet obviously still quite different than pre-COVID. Um, and so it's that constantly, uh, what, what can we do now versus what we can't? So that inconsistency, you know, and unpredictability can create a huge amount of, of anxiety for sure. But I like what you said before, that really resonated with me is that how much, we don't realize that a child, when they're when there's a lack of information or a lack of understanding, they'll fill in the blanks. They'll come up with their own story. Like it's my fault, mommy and daddy are fighting. Or, um, you know, if only I was a better person or a better child, then this wouldn't be happening. Or some other um, story that could be coming up. I know in myself, my own personal experience, when I've done my own healing and, and I've been on my own healing journey, um, that has been a huge realization for me is that so many of the struggles I took into my adulthood were from my childhood and the interpretations that my child mind took on when I didn't know the big picture um, yeah. and I filled in the blanks myself. And then I took those stories into my adulthood. Yes. Um, and, and even, I mean, let's face it, as an adult today, I still get caught up into when I don't know the whole story, I'll fill in the gaps. And I tend to, or I, I'm going to take away a tent, I always fill in the gaps with something negative, right? And yeah. that's the sort of the default mode. And yeah. then, and then the, the getting conscious mode is, you know, the, the part of the daily spiritual practice for me is challenging that my thinking, challenging and witnessing those times where I filled in the blank with something negative, and then said, okay, um, you know, is that true? Can you be honest? I know that it's true yeah. and questioning my thinking and realizing that I either don't know, um, but I certainly can't make assumptions and fill in the blank with this negative story. So if I don't know, why not choose a, a much better story? Uh, that's got, uh, mm -hmm. you know, a really plus to it. Like, I, I don't know the answer to this, but I'm going to assume something really great instead of something terrible. Um, and uh, so it's doing that, that mental work that takes 
a huge amount of effort to, to not going to be in our usual, as you say, that, that, that um, old instinct, um, survival instinct that we are, we're in that default mode that we're in um, a sort of to, to assume the worst or to uh, be on, on guard rather than uh, assume the best. Yes, absolutely. And like, not only are you assuming the worst, but you're assuming the worst almost usually about yourself. Mm. Um, so, you know, oh, my friend Sarah, I waved to my friend Sarah and she didn't wave back to me. So all of a sudden your brain is feeling, well, I must've done this wrong. I should have, I shouldn't have done that. I could have, you know, all these negative assumptions that you have done something wrong when really Sarah was looking in the complete opposite direction and had the sun in her eyes and couldn't even see you, um, which is, you know, the reality of the situation, but your brain has just automatically filled in all these negative things that you've just done. <laughs> exactly. You know, and I just caught myself in that uh, recently too, where a staff member uh, didn't say anything to me going by in the hall and my mind ex- went searching for what did I do wrong? Um, And of course I came up with a, you know, a good story. Um, Good as in like negative uh, juicy story uh, that's uh, was painful. And then again, I had to come back to questioning my thinking and go like, is that true? Can you have to know that it's true? You know, and uh, do what I call, you know, the Byron Katie, um, the work process of asking myself the four questions. And that really helps me to just turn things around. Um, And uh, I really found that one of the best things I can do to keep my anxiety low is to not only question my mind, but to um, work from a place of, if I don't know, I'm going to assume there's something I don't know. And, you know, to assume something positive rather than uh, jumping to some negative story. So, but again, it takes that constant self-discipline to do that. Yeah. And, you know, and especially again, like that's, you know, your adult mind, is able to do that and kind of make or wave through the different assumptions and then kind of come to this complete understanding. Um, but for children, it's, it's much harder. Um, you know, their, their little minds are growing so much and, and changing so much too. And they, it's almost just like, well, I just need to believe what's in my head <laughs> instead of asking sometimes those, those tough questions to ourselves. So in using art and kind of being able to reflect on, um, you know, different things that are coming up for us, then they're kind of able to have a better understanding and also sort out what is, what is actually happening too in their, in their head. Yeah, to to process it and to be able to start to self-reflect. I mean, that's that's most a lot of adults can't even uh, begin to work on that skill, particularly by themselves. Yeah. So you're supporting children to basically it's like holding up a mirror and inviting them to say out loud their thinking that's creating the anxiety because I, I think what we're, we're both kind of agreeing here on that. It's not the situation that's stressful. It's the mental dialogue, the thoughts and beliefs going on in their head that's creating anxiety. So you're putting up that mirror to help them to want, like hear themselves and then to begin to, you know, question that themselves to work through um, this, these, you know, stories that they're holding on to that is, is actually what's creating the anxiety. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 
great. So you must have some success stories about, you know, just witnessing the benefits of art therapy. And I know, obviously, you can't get into too much detail because you have, you know, client confidentiality. But is there sort of some uh, examples you could give of success stories? Yeah, for sure. So, and just speaking kind of in general terms, because I don't want to single anybody out, but one thing that I really love using um, is animals as as metaphors. So um, with children, we can use animals as a way of talking about different parts of ourselves and different family members that just kind of feel a little less intrusive than, you know, putting yourself right in that um, situation. And, you know, this one, one client um, would use animals every single session as a way um, to explore how their life keeps on transforming and changing and reflecting on, you know, past situations and reflecting even on future situations and understanding how, you know, this person wants to change even more and um, how different situations can go differently um, by using different tools and techniques. So I think that that was one thing that, you know, just stood out for me a lot. Um, One thing that I can talk about a little bit in detail is from my thesis. And that's just because I have written permission and it's published work so I can (laughs) talk about it. Um, But, and this is with an older person with dementia and I was doing group work. So in group work, I often use prompts, even with individuals, I will use prompts too. It's just kind of a way to um, a jumping point for, for what to do. And, and whenever I use a prompt, if somebody asks me a question, oh, should I do this? I will always say yes, um, because that's the way that your brain has interpreted what I've just said. And that's what you need healing around. Um, so in this particular prompt, I asked people to use a landscape. And um, this person drew three mountain peaks and spoke about their children in relationship to the peaks of these mountains. Um, And while I was talking with the staff, they only knew about two children. And I was just really curious about this because this person was very adamant that there was three, three peaks, three children. And um, as I was, you know, doing some, some asking around, uh, it came out that there were three children, just that the one child had been estranged from the family for over 30 years. Um, So, you know, there wasn't any information in anybody's records about this this person and no one that anyone ever, ever spoke to or about. But this person's unconscious brain wanted to explore and process some of these hard feelings a little bit more, even though the conscious brain wanted to push these feelings down and didn't want to talk about it. Um, So I think that that's something that always really, you know, I, I, I think a lot about is just that this person had 30 years of not talking to or about um, their child, but through artwork, 
their brain needed some healing around it and needed to talk about it. Um, and, you know, I think it's also really important as a therapist um, to, to be curious, right. And to hold that curious standpoint. Um, because if I, if I wasn't curious, then there wouldn't have been a discussion around this third peak. Um, so I think that, and I, I think that that's, is maybe one of the most, uh, important things is just how our unconscious brain speaks through art. Wow. Right. So then, you know, we've been using the example of anxiety, but um, it sounds like art therapy can assist, you know, children or adults with several like different um, struggles, things they're going through. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that art therapy can be used for grief, for trauma, depression, um, just self-exploration, you know, just wanting to know again yourself a little bit more, um, life challenges and autism. Uh, so really there's so many different reasons why you could come to art therapy. Wow. And, and with COVID on a side note, um, you know, I'm sure that's put a a bit of a, you know, a you know, struggle with you like my other therapists, but then you've, you've moved to online. So can art therapy, can you do it together over online? Absolutely. Um, so if I'm doing art therapy online, what I will do is I'll just email, um, what is required for that session. Uh, so beforehand so that, you know, we can have the art supplies ready for you and, or you know, mom and dad can have it ready on the, your, on your table. Mm-hmm. Um, but absolutely it's, it's able to do it online as well. Okay, great. And any, um, possible resources that you might suggest to parents who are listening in, um, where they could begin if they don't have, you know, access to an art therapist at this time. Um, so I think that as a parent, one of the things that I would read uh, is the art of possibility by, um, I'm not going to say her name, right. Rosamund Stone Zander and Benjamin Zander. This book was introduced to me, uh, in university and it is a book that I keep on going back to that I feel has really changed my life and the way that I look at things. Um, and I think that it can, it's not a quote unquote parenting book by any means, but I think that it can help parents understand the realm of possibility in a way that they haven't understood before. And then the other book, and I mentioned this previously as well, but The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. And, uh, and also that's just a really great book in understanding how your body does store um, thoughts, experiences, trauma, um, that, you know, whenever people talk about triggers, that just can understand, you can understand it a little bit more through that book. Wow. Okay, great. Well, I'll be sure to make note of those at the uh, bottom of the um, website page where this podcast will be uh, stored. So, uh, Tiffany, if anyone wants, that's listening, wants to get in touch with you, how would they get in contact with you? 
Yeah, so you can visit my website. It's uh, thecreativesocialworker.com or you can email me at tiffmccabe at gmail.com and we can go from there. Okay. Okay. That's awesome. I'll include that as well. Um, underneath on my website page, um, Tiffany, I want to thank you for joining me today. This has been, um, enlightening, exciting to know a little bit more about art therapy. I was not, uh, very aware of it. And, um, I'm always ex- excited when I learn more about another, uh, healing modality. So, um, I just really admire and appreciate the work that you're doing to help heal the planet. Well, thanks still for having me. It was a lot of fun. So thank you very much. I appreciate you having me here. Great. All right. Keep up the good work. And in the meantime, if you're looking for support in finding ways to bring more peace into your life as a parent, then be sure to reach out to me at jillmcpherson.com. This fall, I'm in the process of adding some new workshops. And one topic that I keep hearing parents struggle with is the theme of letting go. I know this struggle too, let me tell you. In fact, I keep noticing that when I'm struggling in a situation with children or teens, I can choose to get caught up in the stories of what should or shouldn't be happening, or I can address the common denominator, that being me. When I go within, when I examine my thoughts about the situation, I notice how much of my suffering is attached to a belief. And when I dig deeper, I notice many of these beliefs are not necessarily my own. They're beliefs within my culture, some for many generations. And I notice many of my beliefs are attached to a cultural hierarchy. Um, I've noticed how much I suffer when I value this hierarchy thinking more than the child or teen in front of me. Have you made this realization? Do you want support in exploring this more and how to bring more peace into your life while staying within your responsibilities as a parent, teacher, or adult in a young child's life? Well, contact me uh, for my, about more information for my upcoming workshop entitled Allowing Them to Grow Up While Keeping Your Sanity. No matter if parents have young children, middle school age, high school, or beyond, letting go as our children grow, grow up is always a challenge. How do we know how much is the right amount to let go and at what age? If you're interested in a workshop covering this topic, then be sure to let me know. Don't forget you can contact me for one-to-one sessions as well. And for those who have not worked with me, I offer a free consultation in order for you to get a better understanding of how I can assist you. And don't hesitate to join and ask me questions in my Facebook group, Awaken Parenting. When you do, other parents will benefit from your question. And if you have a suggestion for my next parenting podcast, please be sure to let me know at jillmcpherson.com. Until then, this is Jill McPherson inviting you to join me in awakening to a more peaceful way to parent on Awaken Parenting.